that we might know you, that we might know your will, that we might be moved in the ways that you want us moved. We as a church might be united around a vision um, that you have called us to. So bless us now in this way, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the middle of a vision series where over three weeks, my challenge is to communicate with you the blueprint, um, you know, our story, a church with a plan. So our vision is on the wall out there that was written some time ago, and now we're talking about the nuts and the bolts, how the vision is going to come to life. And these elders who sit before you are, uh, have worked very hard at this and have prayed long and gone to God, and um, we believe God has given us a great dream of what could be among us. Um, and, and we feel passionately about that. This whole discussion uh, we are rooting in on Sunday mornings in the book of Nehemiah and in the life of this incredible leader, a man named Nehemiah. His vision grew out of incredible need in Jerusalem. As we talked about last week, it says in chapter 1 that the people were in great trouble and in dis disgrace. Instead of God's people existing to display the glory of God and the majesty and the power and the beauty and the wonder of God, all the people saw when they looked at God's people now was disgrace and shame, for they were defeated, demoralized people. Nehemiah developed in prayer this incredible vision to go back and rebuild the walls and reestablish community life in that place so that the glory of God could shine again. I want to keep emphasizing week by week that our vision has got to be rooted in need. And my contention last week was simply this, that we are living in a similar scenario today that the glory of God is gone in our society. People do not see and understand the reality of who God is anymore. People don't even know God in any fashion apart from maybe their own conjuring, <laughs> making it up in their own minds. And there are so many people today who are living without Christ in their lives and suffering the consequences, not knowing the mind and the heart of God for living that, it's, that leads to blessing. And there's so many people who are looking to an eternity without Christ. And my friends, we have to have an urgency about the need. If there was no urgency about the need, there'd be no need for vision. If there's no urgency about the need, there'll be no urgency for vision. And we're here today, I guess I'm speaking on behalf of the elders when, we, when I speak of vision. We are here today in order to say the people of God are called to some, do some things that are fantastic and beautiful and remarkable again for God. Um, I started last week, and by the way, if you weren't here, and I know 30 of you women were off on retreat, I'm guessing about 29 of your husbands didn't show because they would have to get the kids together and get here and all that kind of thing. Right, guys? Let's see those hands. Let me see. Come on. You're not going to do it, are you? No. But no, I understand you had a fa fantastic and wonderful, very spirit-filled retreat, and I'm thankful for that. But listen, if you didn't hear the foundational sermon about vision last week, go on our website, go on the app, and listen to it, would you please? Because it really, really is important. The, the, the contention that I brought last week is we need to build internally first. We need to create a church that is filled with people who are spiritually mature followers of Jesus. I'm quoting the vision, sentence one, who are passionately living to bring God's kingdom in every area of life. We need to see the church uh, impacted deeply by God, by God's spirit, by God's word, so that we are passionate for God's kingdom. That's where it all starts. And that's what last week was all about. We're going to move forward today a little bit. And we're going to continue in Nehemiah. We're moving into chapter two to learn some significant things about vision and how God does what God does when he gives his leaders vision. I'm going to start with 
by telling you, I'm, uh, we're going to talk about how Nehemiah brought two huge asks in this text. Um, what he does when he asks two different groups or persons for something was integral to the vision event eventually being realized, incredibly, incredibly important. The first was to the king in Babylon. He's still 800 miles away. He's still in exile. And he comes to King Artaxerxes, I love that word. And he, it says in the, pre, in, in the last verse of the previous chapter that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. Now, the cupbearer to the king had a kind of an interesting job. On the one hand, he would drink the wine before it was given to the king so that if the wine was poisoned, the cupbearer would die and not the king. Because on that day, everybody's trying to kill the king. Because if you killed the king, then you could become the king. It's kind of one of those cutthroat sort of scenarios. And he was the cupbearer to the king and he played that role. But far more important than that was that because of his proximity to the king, because he had access to the king, the cupbearer became an incredibly important advisor to the king. He was a man of status and of power and of significance. Doesn't sound like it, but he was. And he was the cupbearer to the king, and, and he came along to the king, and, and he basically, having been given this passion from God, rooted in the incredible need of the people of Jerusalem, he came to the king, and, and, and he asked the king something, if you would, sort of huge. He basically said, will you... Uh, let me go back to Jerusalem. Will you let me go back to God's people and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and rehang the gates and restore the life of the community of God and his people in that place? And I'm going to read to you the passage where this all unfolds, but before I do so, I want you to realize how incredibly risky it was for Nehemiah to ask that question. He literally put himself in great danger because a king in that day, if he was displeased with any of his court, very quickly and quite normally would kill them. You displease the king, you're dead. And in this instance, Nehemiah comes along to the great king Artaxerxes, he, and he puts his life on the line as this scenario plays out. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 9, says this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. Note that. He's shaking in his boots because of what I just described to you. But the, I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, and with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, uh, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because, listen, because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. I mean, this is an instance where, where, where Nehemiah, Nehemiah comes into the presence of this powerful, mighty 
king and, and, and he asks for what he dreams is absolutely necessary for the vision to be fulfilled. There is nothing that's going to hold this man back from seeing this vision fulfilled, even to the point of putting his life on the line. And uh, does this dangerous thing, which in the end is met with incredible favor of God and of the king himself. There's a lesson to be learned here, and I want to start this way this morning. Vision involves risk. It's just that way every single time. You can think of all the biblical visions that God gives to biblical characters, and risk, if you would, danger is involved every time. It's just part of the reality. We today call this stepping out in faith to do whatever is necessary so that the vision can be realized. Um, and in this instance, what Nehemiah was asking for was permission to go and, and the resources needed to provide it. And remarkably, the king came through. He was given a, a, a military guard. He was given safe passage because of the letters that were provided. He was given the lumber from the royal forest in order to do what he needed to do. What I want you to know today, my friends, is for vision to unfold, we are going to have to live with risk at times. Um, it's going to feel dangerous at times. The Bible calls this walking by faith, stepping out in faith to do what is needed because we have been called by God to do it <clears throat> and we are prepared to act in obedience to what God has called us to do. And then to trust God to provide in the end. I want to tell you, a lot of people don't live their lives that way and a lot of churches, my goodness, do not live this way. But as a result, they never see God come through and provide in a significant way, in a remarkable, miraculous way. Now, how this tends to play out on a church, in my experience, is this. God speaks to leadership. God says, this is what I want you to do. God gives the vision as he gave to Nehemiah. And then that leadership has got to go and step out, even if it feels risky, even if it seems even impossible, knowing that God, who has called us to do what he has called us to do, will provide for us in the end and allow the vision to unfold. Great illustration of this I just heard about a week ago, Maureen O'Brien. Where's Maureen? Right here. This, well, I was speaking with Maureen. Um, Colin, her husband, was dean of arts in a Christian university in Mississippi. Is this about a decade ago? About a decade ago. Um, and in an incredible way, Maureen saw a need. There's that word again. Uh, in her community, she saw that there was no care being given to special needs children under the age of six. So she decided to start a school for children with special needs under the age of six. She gathered together a team of healthcare professionals. There was absolutely no assurance of the resources being provided, but Maureen felt absolutely convicted that this is what God is calling me to do. So she acted in obedience and she began the school. And there were many times that she experienced that moment when she did not know whether you could pay the bills. And in one particular instance, uh, payday was coming, and this is what I heard about. And um, about $40,000 was required, and it wasn't in the bank. So Maureen and I imagine others went before God in prayer, <clears throat> having acted in obedience to the vision that God had given, and asked the Lord to provide. And in those days, a knock came to the front door, and a man said, I, I've driven by here often, and I've wondered what's going on in here, but and I just sensed the Lord saying to me, knock on the door and discover what's happening in that place. And he did, and Maureen, in her affable way, is that a good way to describe it, Maureen? Maureen <clears throat> brought him in and gave him a tour and told, her all, told him all about the vision and, and what God was about. man wrote a check for $40,000 before he left. And the need was covered. Are you seeing how God works? 
Let me ask you, has God worked in your life in that fashion? And will he? I'm telling you, my friends, when God gives a vision and God's people act in obedience to the vision, act in faith to do what God has called them to do, he will provide. Have any of you heard the old phrase? And I know it's old, but it's this, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's provision. We as a church have experienced this. Too many times for me to count that God's people comes through when God provides simply because we have acted in a way that God has called us to act. So I'm here today to tell you over these three weeks, actually, that God has spoken to your elders. So we believe. And God has given us a vision. He has asked us to step out in obedience. And I'm here today to make two big asks, as Nehemiah once did. The first one is financial. And what we have decided to do is to hold, have a two-part financial campaign to fund this vision. The first one is to get the raw carrot up and running, established this October. That is our hope. That is our dream. And then there will be a larger campaign, quite larger, in 2020 to fund the rest. It will include the first year of that position I mentioned last week, the pastor of discipleship, to really pour energy and resources into building up the body of Christ so that we can become a powerful tool in the hands of God before we go out. We have to build up internally first. So the raw carrot scenario is this. In the first year of operations, by far, it's the most expensive year. Joyce told you last Sunday it's going to cost $166,000 for the first year of operation. Where is that money coming from? Well, God, <laughs> however God chooses to provide it. The second year, uh, and we are going to have an offering for, for that $166,000, uh, a special offering on June 16th, and we're asking IPC to provide $50,000 toward that $166,000. Joyce has applied in various places in our denomination and well beyond into community in, in the hope of raising funds from grants and so forth. Uh, she reported last week for the three years, uh, we have already been granted $70,000 from the Presbyterian Church in Canada, which is a fantastic, fantastic thing. Um, but my friends, we need to get started. The second year, I believe, is going to cost us about $39,000. The third year is going to cost us about $24,000, much of which has already been granted by the PCC. The first year is the challenge. By the fourth year, we hope that the sale of soup will require no extra funding from any source, and it will be a self-sustaining social enterprise that is paying for itself. Um, but this first one's the big one. That's the big challenge. Now, uh, why is this a risky thing to do today? I don't know whether you think it risky or not, but I'll tell you it is because a few weeks ago I stood here and I told you as the congregation that we were pretty tight on the financial side and the, on the general fund side of the operation of IPC. Um, that's what is necessary and that's what we do when we get there. Now, last week we had a great offering, $26,500. That's about double what we normally bring in, about 10,000 more than what we need on a weekly basis. And for those of you who have given uh, extra, for those of you who have maybe taken some of the funds you normally give in December and you bring it forward into, into May or you did, I want to give you an absolute and sincere thank you for doing what you have done. That is a fantastic thing. And the experience of that ultimately for our finance folks, our committee and our office staff and so forth, is that the pressure's off. But I want to tell you this, we're still tight. 
And quite frankly, we're hoping for another strong offering this morning to move us beyond that. My friends, it takes faith to ask for you to give to the general fund in that way and three weeks later to stand up and to, to ask you today to consider giving to the raw carrot funds over and above what you normally give to the tune of $50,000. But my friends, we believe with all of our hearts that God has spoken and that God has called us to move forward this October and in obedience to him, we're making the big ask right now, right here. Nehemiah was granted incredible favor by God because he went to the king and he asked for the resources to do what he needed to do to fulfill the vision. And we're doing exactly the same thing. Ask number one. Ask number two comes along as the chapter progresses. Nehemiah travels to J Jerusalem in the way that, that was described and he scouts out the situation. He's thoughtful about it. He's an incredible leader. And I'm going to read to you what happens. Chapter 2, verses 16 to the beginning of 18. 18a, it says this. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing as he scouted things out because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work, and that would be everybody, essentially. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in, say the word with me, disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. You see what Nehemiah does in this instance? He goes to the people. He describes the need. He helps them understand the desperate circumstance of Jerusalem. He then invites the people of God to fulfill the vision with him. He doesn't say, you go do it. Come and join us, the verse says, so that the vision will be fulfilled. And then he tells them, God is in this. Look what the king has done. Incredible favor was granted by God in terms of touching the king's heart. And I want to tell you, my friends, what follows in, in the rest of verse 18 is this. 2.18 says, they replied, this is as simple as it is stunning. Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. In that moment, something happened in the hearts of these people, and they said, yeah, they see, I, we see the need. We see that God is in this, and we are ready to give ourselves to this vision with passion. And I want to tell you, it was a significant, significant thing which they did. You know, they stepped away from their jobs. What would you do if you stepped away from your job for several months, which is what this took? Uh, no income, financial hardship. Uh, it says in, in chapter 421 that they worked from sunup to sundown. A lot of hard work, a lot of focus, a lot of passion. And then even most, more importantly, I would say, what they were doing, again, became a very dangerous thing. Chapter 4, 10 to 18, and then verse 23. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Internally, Nehemiah is beginning to feel resistance. People are saying, we can't do this. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put, the, put an end to the work. They have enemies that are going to attack and slaughter God's people. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. 
when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, listen to this, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The, uh, the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work in one, with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And then verse 23 says this, Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. Why I read you this passage, my friends, is that I want to tell you very literally these people put their lives on the line for the vision. If they had been attacked, it's very possible that many of them would have been killed in battle. But they were willing to do it because of the vision that God had given to them, not just Nehemiah, but the people of God. And what happened in the end is that God's people mobilized and they got an incredible thing done. Listen, I didn't know this until recently. In 52 days, these people rebuilt 2.5 miles of wall, four kilometers. If you live at a distance from here when you leave this morning, put, put your odometer on and, and, and see how far four kilometers is. That these people, that's what these people rebuilt. It was a huge task and an incredible thing was accomplished to provide security for God's people so that the glory could shine again. I want to tell you, my friends, this, this man, Nehemiah, was an incredible leader. He heard from God. He developed the vision. He took significant steps of faith, and, and he risked his own life in order to see the vision fulfilled with the king. He then inspired the people to do what God had inspired him to do. He refused to let fear and opposition hold him back, whether it was internal or external. And then these people gave themselves because of his influence to doing something magnificent for God. Chapter 3, very briefly, you can read it on your own. It, pretty much the whole chapter is this incredible leader delegating, and that's what de leaders do. They delegate. Each family had a section of the wall to rebuild. And God's purposes were accomplished. What does this mean for us? Well, I'm going to be really honest with you. It's all about what's going on in your heart right now and where you will be at the end of this three-week series. Whether you are sensing in what I described to you, indeed, the, the fact of, of whether God is in it, is it from the Lord? Whether you will be inspired to give your life to the vision. You know, whether you will be ready to sacrifice, whether you will be ready to work hard and to pray hard and to discover what your part of the wall is in getting this thing done. See, the, the cold hard facts are, are this. Your leaders whether it's the elders or whether it's the staff of this church, we can't get this vision done on our own. That's completely impossible. This thing is way too big. We need to share it. And the people of God have got to not only hear it and receive it of God, they have to give their lives to the accomplishment of it. Now, I want to tell you out of this text arise a couple more what I'm calling foundational realities to the vision. I'll describe all of them to you after the service in our inform information meeting uh, next week. But one of the things that just arises from this text that, that is so uh, critical to the, to the vision which we have is leadership development. We have a screen that, that shows that, that dynamic. You know, Nehemiah was this incredible leader. He was a passionate, committed, visionary, understanding what God was calling him to do. And we have leadership development, mentoring, and internship as the fourth of six uh, uh, foundational realities. We're going to have a leadership training program. 
Here's the deal. We need, in every ministry of IPC, in order for it to thrive, capable people actually leading those ministries. Um, it's based on the idea that if, 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 if ministry, if anything doesn't have significant, gifted leadership, it's not going to thrive. Do you know right now we have ministries at IPC, and I'm not saying this to be critical of anyone, we have ministries at IPC who are led by people who are not gifted leaders, and they know it. They'll tell you that. They don't particularly want to be a leader. They just have passion in this area, so they're willing to take leadership. Can you imagine if we provided through training effective leadership in every ministry of this church, what God would do in that context? People who are able to develop a vision for this particular ministry. People are, who are able to, to uh, inspire people to participate and give their lives to that particular ministry. People who are able to, to, to divine a blueprint, if you would, or a strategy that the, the vision might, might move forward. People who are, who are committed to this thing and who are going to deal with opposition and, yes, even fear before letting go of that vision. People who are able to delegate like Nehemiah did and, yes, hold people accountable to the accomplishment of the vision. I want to tell you, my friends, if we get this one figured out, this will transform the impact of IPC in our community. It will be a powerful thing in terms of us moving forward. So we are going to be involving a tr leadership training program as part of our discipleship training program, which I described last week. We're going to have a mentoring program when it comes to leadership also. Now, last week I talked about a mentoring program across the board. For everybody having older, mature, godly people pouring their lives into younger people who, who, who are struggling with the realities of life, gaining the wisdom, the experience, the knowledge, the support, the care as, as they make their way forward. Well, we want to do it particularly when it comes to leadership, to identify leaders in our church and to train them, but to identify younger leaders in our church and to enable them to thrive in leadership. So in the end of the day, they too will go out into this world being active as leaders in the kingdom of God, making a difference for the rest of their lives in powerful, significant ways. I think that's incredibly cool. And we want that to happen as we move forward. And lastly, an internship program. Again, I talked to you about this in, in family ministry. We're looking at a, an internship program geared particularly to the leadership I just described to you. Uh, an opportunity for young people between high school and college and university, potentially up to two years, where we build into these young leaders and we enable them and allow them to catch a vision for God's purposes in their life so that they can go forward and have impact in the kingdom, whether it's here or in anywhere, wherever that might be. So I want you to hear this, my friends. Leadership is going to be a huge part of what we're doing, uh, allowing God to do incredible things to the leaders. I was thinking this morning, I've heard it, and I think it's very true. There are a lot of people who are in a church who are active leaders in business, and they're incredibly successful, or in education, or in healthcare, whatever the case might be, capable leaders who sit in church on Sunday mornings, but they never lead in the church for the sake of the kingdom of God. We want to stop that. We want to recruit people who are gifted and called and put them to work for God's glory. So that's one foundational reality. That's number four. Here's number five. And it's, it's embedded in this book. It's the reality of prayer. Prayer. You might think that's a little innocuous or not that important. I want to tell you this is incredibly important. Look at Nehemiah. In that instance where he had heard about the disgrace of God's people, what did he do? He went to days of morning fasting and prayer, and out of that time came vision, a vision that God gave him. And then just before he went to the king, I want to read to you chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. I'll read it to you again. 
It says this. The king said to me, what is it you want? Note this. Then, maybe that didn't happen at all. <laughs> Four and five. Uh, I answered, here we go. Is that it? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestor to bury, that I can rebuild it. And God answered that man's prayer. I want to tell you, Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Thirteen times in this book of 13 chapters, it says that he prayed to the God of heaven. My friends, I want to tell you, and it's seen here, it's taught here, it's incredibly uh, 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 powerful here, that no vision is ever fulfilled without focused and effective prayer. Because it is prayer that moves God to move among us by his spirit to do what is needed done. Now I want to tell you, and I, I phrase it this way, this way, we want to create a movement of prayer at IPC that's never been seen here before. We want to hold high the value of prayer so that all of us, every single one of us, believes deeply in the power and the necessity of prayer and so that we engage it so much so that God acts by his spirit to accomplish the vision. So what are we going to do? Well, intercessory prayer teams, we have one team of about five or six women, I believe. Guys, we got to kick it into gear. We dream of having many intercessory prayer teams. By the way, if you ever have need in your life, contact those people and have them pray for you, and you will be stunned at what God does because those people pray. Happens over and over and over again. I do that quite regularly, by the way, and I know God uses them in that fashion. We want to create prayer stations. We have a little prayer station out here, and, and, and all it is very simply is that this, this location that we want to take beyond our building into the public realm... Can you imagine it downtown Woodstock at Museum Square? We set it up, and it's just an opportunity for come, people to come to us so that we can pray for them. We're told where this ministry functions, many, many people come to faith in Jesus. Powerful reality. We want to do prayer walks, walk through neighborhoods or, or where ministry is happening, doing battle quite honestly with the kingdom of darkness so that God will move by, in power by his spirit, forcing back the darkness and shining his light. Um, I'm going to skip some things here. Evenings of prayer and concerts of prayer where we come together. There's praise. There's worship. There's focused, intentional prayer. We want to create a prayer garden on the Interkip Road, a beautiful place of trees and large rocks and benches. Um, we want to put on paving stones that lead through that garden, verses which speak about prayer and the power of prayer and how God answers prayer and about salvation in Jesus. Again, where this is done, we've heard many, many people come to Christ because God is present and God is at work. And we also want to teach prayer, but whether it be Sunday morning or whether it be in a discipleship training program. My friends, prayer must be a priority as it was in the life of Nehemiah because it's only when God moves that vision is accomplished in his kingdom. I want to wind up by this. I, I just want to say very clearly, there have been two asks that have come your way today. One of them is financial. $50,000 is what we believe we need at a minimum. In order to, from IPC in order to get the Rock Hair operating in October. Go to God with that. Uh, do what he calls you to do, as I will. Number two, quite frankly, we are asking you to give your life to the fulfillment of the vision, as did the people of God in Nehemiah. Their passion, their heart, their commitment, even to the point of risking <laughs> and stepping out themselves in great faith. 
because the vision had taken hold in their hearts and they knew that it would reestablish the glory of God again and that God would do mighty things among them as a result. I want to read to you uh, um, Nehemiah 2.18b, the second part of the verse from the, uh, from the ESV because I love the way that it says what it says. I told them uh, of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. This is, if you would, one of the more very literal translations of the original language now in terms of translations. And also the words that the king had spoken to me, and they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. You know what we're looking for? You know what we're asking? For the people of God to rise up to take hold of this vision that we believe with all of our hearts God has given to us, to embrace it themselves and to give their lives to the accomplishment of it. And very literally today, I'm standing here before you to ask you to seriously consider that possibility. I want you to imagine, because that's what a vision is. It's, it's a, a visual, clear understanding of what the future is going to look like. I want you to use your imagination and I want you to imagine a church which is filled by mature followers of Jesus who are living passionately to bring God's kingdom in every area of life. And I'm going back a little bit, but a, a worship that is dynamic and incredibly creative, singing songs that God has inspired to his people here, which are then sung around the world. I want you to imagine the life group movement, which is powerful, and the healing care movement, and the focus uh, ministry, and the focus groups. 80% of our people being involved in that. I want you to think about leadership training program that is enabling great effect of this for the kingdom, family ministry that's having huge impact in the lives of our young people, every ministry led by gifted leaders, prayer movement that is strong and powerful and is moving the spirit of God to act in ways that we can't accomplish on our own. And in the end, hundreds and hundreds of people coming to faith in Jesus. Campuses, this is next week, spread around our region where Christ is honored and communities are being changed simply because God's people were, were, were willing to rise up, to take hold, and to give themselves to a vision that God has given to us. My friends, in the end of the day, I know that God is ready to do something incredibly significant. Two and a half miles of wall in 52 days? What is it that he's calling us to? In the end, it's to his glory that the world might see and the world might know and the world might believe in and that the world might love God again and know the blessing of such in their lives. My friends, too big asks, what will you do with them? Let's pray. Gracious God, it's an incredible thing to, be, to get caught up in what you were doing in this world. We've spent a year talking about your upper story through the story campaign, and we've learned, Lord, what we do in our lower story ultimately is dependent on us. Whether we will listen and act in faith, even be visionary people, visionary congregations, so that we get caught up in your upper story, accomplishing significant things, things that you have called us to. God, I pray for this church, these people gathered here today, and even those who aren't with us. And our God, our prayer is that you would inspire us. You would inspire us to see that, yes, God is in this. 
to move among us so that we are willing to give ourselves in any fashion that is required, as did Nehemiah, so that the walls get built, so that the vision you have given to us in this time and in this place becomes reality. So, Lord, I pray for the people gathered here today. I pray for this church. I pray that you will guide them by your spirit, that you will inspire them, that you will challenge them, and that you will give them the grace as the people of Israel once responded to rise up, to say yes, to say, let me know and participate in the way that you are calling me, God, to accomplish your vision now, here, and for your glory. So, Lord, bless us as we go forward. Bless us richly, we pray. Even now, God, we pray that you will move by your Holy Spirit in a powerful way so that the many things that you have enabled us to dream of, envision, become a reality here. God, thank you for the vision you have given. Thank you that you will come behind us and you will provide and you will enable and you will help us accomplish what you have called us to do. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to be part of your upper story and make impact for you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We uh, do somewhat regularly at IPC, we come now to the Lord's table. We call it the Lord's table because, uh, as many of you will know from Scripture, the Lord sat around a meal with his disciples the night before he was betrayed, and he said, both with the broken bread, which is to represent his body, and the, and the cup, which is to represent his shed blood, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Today, my friends, we do this in remembrance of him. We come to this place um, and we recognize that Jesus has given everything for us. He has been passionate for the kingdom and he has done everything in his power, even to the point of dying, that God's kingdom might come in power and transform this world, that the glory of God might shine. So we come to this table in obedience and in faith to remember him, to celebrate what he has done, to experience his living presence among us by his Holy Spirit today. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come to this